Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. Today's topic might be one of the most important topics I ever cover for those who already profess to know Christ. And that topic is the sufficiency of Scripture. This is such a huge issue within the charismatic church, but if we're honest, it's not really just the charismatic church that has an issue with the sufficiency of Scripture. I think we've seen this play out over the last seven months like we haven't seen in years. And in fact, like I probably haven't really noticed in my lifetime, it's been extreme and in your face uh, as of late. The abandonment of the belief that scripture is sufficient is so blatantly before us that we can hardly ignore it, nor should we ignore it. It's an issue that the church really needs to deal with. And I'm thankful because there are many, many um, God-fearing, God-loving believers and pastors out there who are fighting that battle. We want to join with those guys. Now, you know, the, the reality is that this isn't a new battle. As long as men have lived, the Word of God has come under attack. You know, we, we can go back and just look at Genesis, right? Chapter 3, we have this phrase, has God indeed said, right? The serpent asks Eve. And from that moment, God's Word has been continually challenged, deemed insufficient. And it's no different today. Battles have been waged over the Bible's inerrancy. War has been waged over its authority. And attacks have been repeatedly waged against its inspiration. But I think in our modern times, in today's current climate, the the great attacks, the greatest attack, I think, is against the sufficiency of Scripture. This attack isn't so much outside of of the church, right? It's not the church being persecuted. It's not... um, as much of unbelievers who are looking at the church and deeming that, but rather the most pervasive attack against the sufficiency of Scripture today is coming from within the walls of the church itself, which is saddening. While many battles are are indeed fought outside of the church, this one certainly, I think, is the greatest battle today, and it's being fought among our own ranks. Uh, The battle for the sufficiency of Scripture, it's a complicated battle in that it's a multifaceted battle, and oftentimes it's a very subtle battle. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along, but the reality is it's a battle that we cannot afford to lose. Without belief in the sufficiency of Scripture, we really have nothing left as believers. I mean, either Scripture is wholly sufficient as it claims to be, or it's not. And if it's not sufficient, you know, in that case, Christianity is a farce and we're all just wasting our time. And of course, that's not the truth, right? So we have to fight the battle for the sufficiency of Scripture and we have to win this battle and we will win this battle uh, as, as we fight it. You know, we live in a, in the world today of, you hear the term pandemic everywhere. Uh, to be honest, I don't know why we're still hearing that term, but anyway. But I don't think that the, the pandemic we need to worry about is in the church is a virus. I think the pandemic we need to worry about is a lack of biblical literacy. It's a lack of reverence for the scripture. It's a lack of faith in what God says about his own word, namely that it's sufficient. This does more damage within the church 
than a million new viruses could ever do. And I, I know some may be thinking out there, well, I mean, I love the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. The reality is I have never yet met a professing Christian of any denomination or persuasion that hasn't said that they love the Bible and I believe the Bible. You know, you can go to any so-called Christian church and they will likely tell you they're a quote-unquote Bible-believing church. That's a common thing that's said, but then the, the question is, are they really living in a way that proves what they're saying? And, and I think this is what we see in the church today more than we ever have. Now, there's a phrase I want to talk about that I heard in the charismatic church all the time. So, and it, and it relates to this issue. After speaking about scripture, it's very common in the charismatic church, especially if you're asking people about Bible study, how much time they study scripture, you often hear a response that goes something like, well, I have the Holy Spirit that leads me into truth. Of course, that is a gross misunderstanding of the scripture in the way they apply that. But after that comment, you might be accused of being religious, or perhaps they'll say something like, I just let the Holy Spirit do his work in me. I, I don't want to be religious. And, and so I don't, I don't study my Bible regularly. I mean, honestly, when I hear things like that, especially when I come across someone that claims to believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and then they say things like that, I kind of just want to shake them and, and say, who do you think wrote the Holy Scriptures? Right? You, you can't use the Holy Spirit as an out to study the Bible because the, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, right? Men inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. I'm pretty sure that if we actually asked people who they thought wrote the Bible, it would be a recipe for a myocardial infarction, right? A heart attack. Because sadly, this biblical illiteracy, it's not just, it's found all over and it's not just in the charismatic church. I believe it's an epidemic truly in the Western church. We've we've got to deal with the issue and we can never talk about how sufficient the scriptures are enough. There, There will never be a time where we need to say, you know what? Everyone gets it. Scripture's sufficient. We don't need to have that conversation. No, we should have that conversation often and even remind ourselves. I mean, I need to remind myself at times that the Bible is wholly sufficient. And we're kind of talking about some evidences of whether people truly believe that or not. And I think a prime example of this is evidenced by how many truly good folks, faithful believers, have been duped by the teachings of Cone and liberation theology who have been duped by social justice. It's partly why we have Christians who are out there marching with Black Lives Matter, because practically they do not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And one of the problem is that they're not studying the Scripture to know what's in the Scripture. And I think that, you know, there's a link between that, right? If you, if you say you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and you truly believe that, then why wouldn't you be going to the Bible regularly? That blows me away. I'm just not sure how to, how to answer that question. If you believe that Scripture is sufficient, then it seems like you wouldn't be running to worldly, godless ideologies for help. You would be running to the Scriptures. Now, and let me say this, there are certainly some wolves out there who they know exactly what the scripture teaches and they're ignoring it, but I'm not really talking about those guys. I think for the most part, it comes down to the average everyday Christian not fully believing that the Bible is sufficient, and because they don't really believe 
that the word of God is sufficient. They don't study it like they should. And so when these ideologies come along and present itself as something that the church needs, many buy into it just based on, you know, whether or not it sounds good. And, and yet that is a demonstration that many in the church today do not believe in the body of Christ, right? It's a symptom. I think adopting godless ideologies and seeking world ways and world systems to resolve issues or deal with things in the church is, is a symptom of not believing in the sufficiency of Scripture. And I think we should recognize it as such. Now, I, I get I'm generalizing this when I say, you know, the average everyday Christian doesn't study their Bible and that they don't really do so because they don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I, I realize I'm generalizing, but I think there's just a very plain truth that has to be acknowledged. And, and that's the fact that when, some, when something is very dear to you, you keep it close, right? You, you keep a close guard on that thing. You keep it close to you. You know it inside and out, much like Ebenezer who counted his money daily. It was his goal that he loved more than life itself, and he knew where it was. He constantly went to it. it we, we get that, right? For the Christian, the word of God should be to him what gold is to Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, for the Christian, the word of God should be to him what a net is to the fisherman. It's his life source. For the believer, the Word of God should be like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. When he lost his scroll, he needed it so much that he had to stop everything he was doing and turn around to go find it. That should be how important the Word of God is to us as professing believers. It should be worth risking our very lives to have. And in fact, many do. Many places, you know, believers risk their very life just to have a page or two of Scripture. And, you know, here in the West... I would say, I don't remember the stats, but most Christians have multiple Bibles. Most people, although that's probably changing, but you know, many people have at least a Bible in their house, whether they would consider themselves faithful Christians or not. And yet, many believers around the world would give their life just to hold on to a page or two. We need to ask the question, is Scripture that dear to us that we would be willing to risk our life for it? Now, we don't have to in our country, thank God yet. Um, but certainly those of us who have ready access to scripture should be loving the scripture and should, should be wanting to engage and study and spend time in it, right? You know, I was just thinking about guys who value the scripture in other parts of the world. The church has a long history of men like this, right? I'm thinking of uh, John Wycliffe. I mean, he believed that the scripture was the only authoritative, reliable guide to truth about God. And so, against the will of Rome, he became involved in efforts to translate the Bible into English so that the people could understand in their common vernacular. And in the years before his death in 1384, you know, he increasingly argued for scriptures as the authoritative center of Christianity. In other words, he believed that the scriptures were wholly sufficient for the Christian life, faith, and practice. He constantly fought the papacy, said that they were unhistorical. He fought monasticism, you know, as being irredeemably corrupt. He dealt with, you know, moral unworthiness of priests. Scripture deals with all those things, and he was willing to die 
I mean, he believed so strongly in the power and the sufficiency of Scripture that he was willing, willing to give his life for that. And, and in fact, and in reality, he did. You know, he was deemed a heretic eventually, and he passed away before he would have been executed by Rome. He wasn't the only one. You know, I think of John Huss, uh, who came shortly after Wycliffe. He believed in the sufficiency of Scripture. Again, so much so, he, he believed that, you know, the everyday Christian needed Scripture, the Scriptures for themselves, and that it was sufficient, so much so that he was willing to risk his life. And in fact, he did, right? He was burned at the stake because of his love for God's Word and God's truth. You know, think of Martin Luther, I think of John Calvin of Swingley, and many others who risked everything they had for the sake of truth out of love for the Word of God and for God and his God's people. Thank God for these men, and, and I, think, I thank God for the many men and women that we have today who do value the Word of God, but there are many, many in the church, and, and we're seeing it all over today. You know, it, you can't really tell me that you believe in the sufficiency of God if you're adopting, you know, ideologies that come from the Black Lives Matter movement. They're godless, pagan ideologies that are counterintuitive to the teachings of Scripture. Not only that, they're just in blatant opposition to Scripture. You can't tell me that you believe in the sufficiency of God if you're adopting critical race theory as a helpful, useful, analytical tool, or, you know, however you want to say that. You know, if, if you're opening, you know, psycholo- psychology centers in the church, it's going to be hard to convince me that you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We do not need, as the church, as the body of Christ, godless worldly ideologies and methods and ways of doing things to deal with life and faith and practice in the Christian faith. Uh, We have scripture for that. We don't need anything else. It's hard for someone who truly believes in the sufficiency of scripture to adopt those things. And so, and there's some litmus tests, right? Do, Do you... Do you really believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? And if you're not sure how to answer that question, you can ask yourself a few things. Do you read the Scriptures regularly? Do do you have a desire to read the Word of God? Or do you prefer reading secular novels? If you don't have any desire to read and study the Word of God, then you probably don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And in fact, if you have no desire to read the Word of God, you're probably not even a Christian. Now, I, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy other writings. Uh, I certainly enjoy the Iliad and the, and the Odyssey. But the question is, do you love to read the Word of God? Do you believe what you read in the Word of God? And do you seek to implement that, those truths, those doctrines in your day-to-day life? That, that's really the litmus test, right? Jesus gave another great litmus test, which I think, you know, can answer the question as well. In John 14, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you know what his commandments are if you are not a student of the Bible? And if you don't know his commandments, his ways, his teachings, then how on earth can you live by them? So if one really believed the Bible's sufficiency, uh, they would not only read the word of God, but then they would seek to obey the scriptures out of love for Christ. While obedience love for God and belief in the sufficiency of Scripture, while they may seem like different topics, the reality is is they're all intricately linked together. You, you can't say you have one without the others. It just doesn't work that way. If you love God, 
If you truly love God, you'll love his word. If you love his word, you'll believe what God says about his word. And he says it's sufficient. And if you believe it's sufficient, then there will be evidences of that in your day-to-day life. Someone should be able to look at your life, if you're a pastor or a teacher, look at your teachings and be able to see signs that, yes, this guy really loves and believes the scriptures. And what, but what we're seeing today in much of, you know, evangelicalism is guys who are saying they believe in the sufficiency of scripture, but it looks like they're running and bringing in every worldly thought and methodology out there available into the church to help the church. Uh, And, you know, if they're doing that, then it doesn't mean much to say, yes, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. If you're running to the world to deal with things that the church should be going to Scripture to deal with. I mean, the reality is that you you just can't say you you love the Bible. Uh, You just can't say that you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture if if you're not going to scripture as your primary source of authority, if you're going to other sources, then you probably just don't actually believe in the sufficiency of scripture. And that might be a shocker for some people. You know, maybe, maybe some guys out there who really, you know, they'll say with all sincerity, yes, absolutely. I believe in the sufficiency of scripture, but then when they kind of ponder um, the, the things that they're doing, the things that they're reading or not reading, uh, maybe you come to the reality that, you probably don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture. You know, again, there's some litmus tests, right? We've talked about those things and, you know, and I'm not talking about the faithful believer who, you know, they go through a busy season of life. Maybe you've moved across the country like we have and all your stuff's in boxes or, um, you know, we all have seasons in our life where, you know, things happen. We're not studying the way we want to. Uh, We don't have access to things the way we normally do. Um, or you know, maybe some, you know, lots of guys just kind of have down seasons. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, and in, in fact, uh, a recent experience, you know, that just illustrates this. We're talking about guys who say things like, "Yes, I value the Word of God," but then in the next sentence, they turn around and tell you that you know they haven't read the Word of God for ten, fifteen, twenty years. You can say that you value the Word of God, but if you tell me you haven't read the Word of God for 10 years, then I'm just going to go with what your actions say, because they speak a lot louder than words. We just don't go to outside sources if, if we really believe Scripture is enough. You know, so you know, do you believe that you need those secular theories to help the church function? If you do, then you don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, or you don't understand the sufficiency of Scripture. If you think we need marketers to help grow the church, then you don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture or you don't understand it. You know, do you need polls or opinion pieces, church growth specialists, you know, uh, worldly worship techniques? If you feel like you need those things, then you probably don't actually believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. At very least, you're certainly not practicing as though you do. Um, scripture is everything that it needs to address for the Christian life and practice. Uh, we just don't need outside sources. Now, um, I, I know someone could very easily take that out of context. I'm not saying that other books and things aren't helpful, but I'm saying that for the Christian's life, uh, for his life and practice in the Christian faith, we have enough in scripture. God gave us everything that we need to be fully equipped to do the work he's called us to do. 
And to believe anything other that other than that is to deny what God's word says about itself. So if you rarely read your Bible, you, you probably don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, either that or maybe you just don't care, which is an entirely different matter. Uh, but I don't think that's where we find most people today, right? I, I realize um, that the busyness of life, you know, gets in there. Uh, but, you know, we go back to a, an earlier comment, the things that we truly hold dear, that we truly love, we make time for those things, right? I mean, if you're married and you love your spouse, you make time for your spouse, in fact, you know, you rearrange things for the sake of your spouse, happily so. You know, if you have children and you love your children, you're there, right, for your children. You make time to be with them. Doesn't mean you don't have other responsibilities or, you know, uh, other things you give your time for. But, you know, the point is that the things that we truly value and love, we make time for those things. So, if someone says they believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that they have a high value for the Word of God, and yet they never make any time for the Word of God, I can't really believe that what they're saying is true because their, their life is demonstrating something completely opposite. And, and I think that's the evidence um, that we have a disaster today when it comes to this issue is that if we look around, you know, the evidence that surrounds us, things like the adoption of critical race theory, things like the adoption of intersectionality, things like uh, research justice, you know, these things that have been brought into the church, <clears throat> I just don't think that we can deny that many in the church have just totally abandoned, not in words, but in their practice, the sufficiency of Scripture. And unfortunately, we live in a society where men are quite happy to sign a document or to say that they believe one thing while all the evidence points to the contrary. So, um, it, you know, pet peeve of mine, I, there are some great statements out there, and I think it's great to sign those statements and align yourself with sound biblical doctrine on paper. Uh, I agree with doing that, no problem. But the issue is uh, now in it, integrity has so much been lost in the church today that guys can sign those documents and then they can bring critical race theory into the church and into their schools, into the seminaries, and they can say, well, obviously I'm against this because I signed this paper. Well, no, it actually doesn't matter if you sign the paper. I think it's a good start, but then if your life demonstrates something totally opposite, then we're going to just go with what your life is demonstrating. Um, I, it, it's an unfortunate thing that we have today. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear things like, well, so-and-so signed the statement. Well, right, but, you know, he has a provost who's talking about how his skin color inherently makes him racist. And, and there's no public correction. There's no, yeah, so don't tell me that you disagree with it because your actions are speaking far louder than your words, as it were. Or, you know, someone says, well, yeah, absolutely. This person has denied that they believe that stuff. But then there's a conference with, you know, social justicians are half the lineup in the conference. Well, that's purposeful, folks. Uh, I experienced this kind of recently, uh, a church that you know, said that they disagree with those things. And uh, I looked at a conference they were doing and saw some horrendous people uh, in the lineup who are full-blown 
social justicians. And I mean, either the elders are doing a really poor job of knowing who they're inviting in, uh, in, in for conference stuff, or it's purposeful, right? Uh, those are kind of the only two options. I mean, the, the adoption of all these just heinous ideologies, again, it is just simply the symptom uh, of the abandonment of the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and I think it proves in an undeniable way that this is an issue that still needs to be dealt with. You know, I think the, the natural and expected response of disbelieving Scripture is just what we're seeing, chasing after and adopting worldly methodologies, right? So, churches that are, yeah, I don't, I don't want to step on any toes. Okay, well, yeah, I do actually. But in love, if, if I say in love, it makes it better, right? You know, if you're hiring marketing professionals and, and guys to take polls um, in the community so that you know how to do church, as it were, on the Lord's Day, don't tell me you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture because you don't, right? I mean, it, one, as, as pastors, it's not our church, it's God's church, right? Two is we don't, we don't and aren't supposed to build the church. That's God's job. And you know what? If God wants you to pastor a church of, you know, thousands and thousands, like let's say Grace Community Church, John MacArthur, then God does that. Right, God will do that if He wants to do that, and if He wants you to be a faithful pastor of twenty people, um, then that's God's decision, right? We don't go out and look for godly strategies to entice uh, people to come into the church. That that we don't do that, and people who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture don't do those things. Many people fail to believe that Scripture is adequate because they simply don't know what the Bible teaches. Um, right? I mean, we can't expect new believers, immature believers um, to, to just know these things if they're not being taught these things, right? If they're not being taken to the Word of God, if they're not being shown the Word of God. Um, although I'm inclined to believe that even a, a, a brand new believer, right, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, uh, God having called that person to himself and redeemed them and saved them, recreated them, that they have a natural love and desire for the world of God, that, for the word of God. That's just there, right? But, uh, but I think a lot of believers, they just simply don't know what's in the Bible. And uh, biblical illiteracy is undoubtedly, I think, today's largest breeding ground for a lot of the misfit doctrines that attack the sufficiency of Scripture. Why don't we have a lot more Christians who are standing up and fighting against these things? Well, I, I, think, I think the truth is we don't, in part, because a lot of Christians have no idea what's in the Bible. A survey done by Lifeway uh, in 2019 showed that about 40% I mean, listen to this, 40% of church-going Protestant Christians spend one day or less in Scripture reading. Now, I'm assuming the less means like, I don't know, one, one day less than, a day less than one day is no days, but anyway. But 40% of professing church-going believers spend one day or less in Scripture reading. Now, it leads me to believe that the one day is likely Sunday, right, when they're getting scripture. But let's just, for the sake of generosity, say it's one day in addition to Sunday. 40% of Christians, I mean, how do you convince me, not that you have to convince me of anything, 
But how do you convince anyone that you have a great love for God, that you cherish the word of God, that you believe it's inerrant, it's infallible, uh, it's sufficient, it's authoritative? How do you convince anyone that, that you believe those things are true if you never read your Bible? 40%, folks, that's huge. I mean, there have been some other polls taken recently, and uh, some guys have mentioned those things. I'm not going to mention them here. You can go look up some recent studies Barna Group has done. They prove that biblical illiteracy is huge, I think. I mean, imagine for a moment that you met a believer who lives in a country where Bibles are legal, illegal. So we know those places exist. And this believer has just gotten out of prison because he was caught with a single page of scripture. Now, just imagine you get a chance to meet this believer. You're sitting down with him, having a cup of coffee. And as you're conversing with him, you begin to tell him just how dear the word of God is to you. And, And the two of you are just talking about how wonderful God's word is and how wonderful God is. And you're sharing your stories of you know, how God redeemed you. And, and you're just talking about how the word of God is so precious and it's worth any suffering that we may have to experience. Of course, this guy, he sits there across from you, his eyes tear up because not only does he agree with you that the word of God is so important, it's worth suffering for, but of course he has indeed been suffering just to have a single page of scripture. And then he begins to speak about how blessed you are as a Westerner because you live in a free country and have access to all the Bibles you want. So he then, with excitement, asked how much time you get to spend in studying God's Word because he knows that in his past, they have to sneak and hide under the cover of darkness just to get some time. So he's dreaming of having a whole Bible, a whole day just to study the Bible and to be able to study it day in and day out, some each day, and then you respond, well, I mean, I only read the Bible on Sunday at church. And in that moment, you two have nothing in common. How could a man that loves God and the Bible so much, being free to read and study as much as he likes, neglect so great a gift? Surely this must be what the man would think on the other side of the table. And perhaps we should all think about that. Love is demonstrated by action. If 40% of Christians, if that's even remotely true, take stats with a grain of salt, add plus or minus on either side, fine. But if anywhere near 40% of Christians um, are only reading their Bible once a week as, as a normative way of life, then there's no way they believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And that's probably why, as some more recent polls have uh, showed, that you know, close to half, if not half, I don't remember the number, uh, believers think things like multiple religions will all get people to heaven, right? You just can't believe that if you're a faithful, dedicated Christian. You can't believe that if, certainly, if you believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God. So anyway, that survey we were just referencing, it goes on to say that around 27% of those who they interviewed read Scripture more than one once a week. Only 27%. And of course, the smallest group of, of those who are, are those who read every day. I mean, no wonder the scriptures aren't deemed adequate for most professing believers. Many have no clue what the scriptures contain, and many preachers aren't even teaching the scriptures. Instead, they're replacing them with so-called prophetic messages or platitudes or motivational speaking. I mean, that in and of itself should tell us how the Bible is viewed by many. I mean, I just think about, you know, the, the area we've moved to, and, you know, I, I want to be gracious, but the reality is 
you know, there there's tons of charismatic uh, churches around. There there are lots of people that, you know, if you were to ask them, you, you would get responses similar to that we talked about earlier. Well, I have the Holy Spirit, so I, I don't need to be religious about studying the Bible. And and then you find that some of those guys end up in churches that embrace homosexuality, that uh, try to make arguments for how abortion is uh, an issue of justice and therefore God's okay with it. It's just kind of, well, it's not kind of, it's absolutely insane. I mean, the Apostle Paul obviously um, teaches us that the Word of God is, ad- is, is adequate. You know, it, it's more than w- what we need. And I say it's more than what we need because the reality is, if you are a student of the Word of God, you will study until you die, um, not having full comprehend- fully comprehended it by the time you die, right? There will always be more understanding that we can get from scripture. Uh, But the apostle Paul, you know, while he's sitting in the Mamertine prison in Rome, awaiting his execution, he writes a letter to young Timothy. And and what does he say? Right. He says, and and I'll quote, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, here it comes, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I mean, and the, the word adequate there is not quite the same as how we would use it today. Like you, you might tell someone that their skill level is adequate for the job, for the job meaning that it, it's just enough, right? Like it's enough. But that's, that's not how it would be meant here. The word adequate here actually means complete or perfect, so the word is artios. It, it means complete or perfect. So uh, you can insert that, right? So it says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, equipped for every good work. Scripture sufficient. I mean, so all of the scriptures are inspired by God and profitable, right? They're sufficient to equip the man of man or woman of God. There's nothing in in the life and practice of our faith that isn't adequately addressed by the Word of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that you know if my tire blows out on the interstate, let's not be crazy. No, God's Word doesn't tell me how to you know replace a tire. But we're not talking about that, right? Um, for, for my life and faith and practice, for principles of living, for ethics, for morals, for values, um, my, my love for God, my love for man, my love for creation, you know, all of those things uh, come from and are dealt with in Scripture. Now, I, I, I want to I wrap up our podcast today by reading through what I think uh, and, and many others would agree, is probably the most succinct teaching in Scripture on the sufficiency. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's Psalm 19, right? It's kind of a compact mini version of Psalm 119. And uh, I, I just want to read through verses 7 through 11 because I mean, th- this is so important. It's important that we judge the Word of God by what the Word of God says about itself, right? God has um, decided that he was going to outline and help us understand the value of his word in his word. And so let's go there and, and I'll read through this. It says this. So this is Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. I mean, God's word is perfect. It restores the soul. I mean, in other words, the word of God rightly applied brings the soul back to a right position with God. It resolves the problem of the lost soul. It seeks it, it finds it, and it restores it, bringing it back to a place of humble submission to a holy and loving God. I mean, that's incredible. The Word of God is the only source of truth by which man can be saved, right? We find in it the gospel message, and it's by the gospel alone uh, that men can be saved, right? So it goes on to say the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So testimony here simply means witness. So God witnesses about himself through the scriptures, and the testimony is sure, right? It's true. It's accurate. The word of God is faithful. It's pure. It's steadfast. It's unchanging. It's sure. Now, the simple here refers to those who are foolish or silly or immature. And I, you know, one commentator on this passage said that the word for simple here implies that there is an open door in the mind of a person that allows anything to come in. Man, I, if you look around, we see this all over. Every time someone's got a new idea, people in the church are adopting that thing. Th- this passage is talking about that kind of mentality. So undoubtedly, you've heard someone say something like, and I quote uh, this person, so-and-so has an open mind, right? That, that's, I, we've all heard that. So-and-so, they just have an open mind. Or, well, you know, I have an open mind. But the scripture says that having an open mind is foolish. John MacArthur said it well when he said, if you have an open mind, then you need to close it. Doors serve a purpose. They keep unwanted things out and wanted things in. And so the word of God is sure, making wise the simple, making wise the foolish. By closing the door to unwanted theories, unwanted philosophies, and other untruths that the world would seek to lead us astray with. The precepts of the Lord are right and brings rejoicing. Now, precepts are doctrines. So when you hear people say things like, well, I don't need theology, I don't need to know doctrines. In reality, what they're saying is I don't need God's word because God's word is doctrine. It, it is theology. Now, they might not realize that. And so it's not something you want to say, but the reality is you can't love the word of God without loving doctrine. And likewise, if you despise doctrine, the reality is you're despising the word of God. For most folks, they're probably just ignorant of that truth. But those things are inseparable. So precepts here are doctrine, and doctrine is good. Now, it says that the precepts are right. Well, what does that mean? Well, it, it means right as in, not, not as in simply just right or wrong, but it actually means right, it actually means straight, as in the straight and narrow path. It's the idea described in Pilgrim's Progress when the interpreter tells Christian that he must stay on the path. And Christian turns to the interpreter and he says, well, 
are there other roads that I may get lost on? And the interpreter says, yes, but you'll recognize them and be able to avoid them because your path is the one that is straight and narrow. So the precepts, the doctrines of God, they set our feet on the right path. This is what doctrine does. I should say, this is what sound doctrine does. There's also doctrine of de- doctrines of demons, right? Those are false doctrines, false teachings that lead us away from the truths of Scripture. This is exciting. I mean, who could read Psalm 19 and not walk away absolutely grateful and excited about the Word of God? How can anyone read this and be anything but overjoyed that God, the sovereign of the universe, has taken so much care for us as to give us His Word, a complete Word, accomplishing all of this in our lives? I mean, how could we feel anything but a great love for the Word of God, which would drive us back to studying the Word of God, demonstrating that we believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God? We have a few more verses to cover in that. And so the, the effects of the Lord's precepts are that they bring rejoicing to the heart. Right? Does the, let, let me just ask, you know, for those of you out there, the few of you who are listening to this, does the Word of God bring rejoicing in your life? I mean, it should. I'm not saying you don't have bad days, right? But I'm, I'm asking, does the Word of God generally bring rejoicing and joy to your life? It should. And, and it should continue in deeper ways as we read, as we study, and as we pray through Scripture. In God's Word, His precepts, they are right, and it causes the heart to rejoice. That's what the word tells us. So, in other words, it causes the heart to be glad, to be filled with joy. And look, we're not talking about the humanistic, self-centered happiness that's so prevalent in our society. And even in the church today, right? We're not talking about the Joel Osteen sermon that makes you feel all warm and giddy inside, you know, for 10 minutes. That, that's not joy. That, that's humanism, right? That's humanistic happiness, We're talking about a joy that isn't the feeling that comes one moment and goes away the next. It's it's not the idea of self-love. Too many Christians today are trying to seek joy from the world rather than the scriptures and, and rather than Christ, and the scriptures are sufficient for our joy. I mean, those that go to worldly things for joy, they find nothing more than those things which are appeal to the flesh. Movies, books, games that are self-gratifying, self-aggrandizing, licentious entertainment. And, and for those few things that might be acceptable to us, because look, there's nothing inherently wrong with reading books. I encourage that. Or watching movies, that's fine. Or playing games. My wife and I play games together. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things, but too m- much of those things are what believers go to to find temporary joy and happiness because they don't seem to get it from Scripture. They don't seem to get it from their faith in Christ, and that shouldn't be the case. So it's not to say we shouldn't or couldn't enjoy those common graces that God's given us. We should never be seeking our, our joy, our happiness from what can only be gotten from God. You know, just another evidence of whether one believes in the sufficiency of Scripture or not. You know, when you're down and depressed, if, if you get that way, you know, some people have melancholy tendencies and others don't. But, you know, eventually do you find yourself going back to the Word of God, going to prayer, going to Christ, 
uh, to deal with those things, going to your elders and, and working through that? Or do you find yourself as a normative with a giant bowl of ice cream in front of, I mean, I can't even name a TV show. I don't really watch TV, but you know, in, in front of some TV show that in reality you shouldn't be watching anyway, where's your source of joy? And if you say you believe in the sufficiency of scripture, then that ought to be evidenced at some stage throughout your life. And, and so we come back to that very point. The point of this podcast is to make the case that Scripture is sufficient. We, we've read through what the Word of God says about itself, right? And so you can't get any more clear than that. God makes it clear for us. And that should be great news as believers. It means I don't have to come up with another system to do church. I don't have to come up with another program to attract people to church. I can rely on what scripture teaches about how the church functions, and I can trust God to do what only God can do because we're not trying to build my kingdom. God is building his own kingdom. We're letting God do what God does, and we're not trying to usurp that by building our own kingdom. It means that whatever trials we have, whatever challenges we meet, you know, whatever difficulties we encounter, we can run to the word of God because it is wholly sufficient for what we need to deal with those battles. I'm just going to say it. We don't need worldly psychology. Christians shouldn't be running to an unsaved, godless counselor to deal with, you know, the, the internal issues that they need to deal with. That shouldn't be happening. We don't need critical race theory to deal with the very real um, sins of racism. Scripture makes it abundantly clear. I mean, we're, we're not to be partial. So it doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if your skin has a yellowish tint or a reddish tint, you know, or pink, if you're like me. Um, we don't need critical race theory. We have the word of God. We don't need the world's fallen so-called wisdom because we have God's word and we have God's wisdom and that's enough. The question is, is it enough for you? I mean, I hope it is. And I hope if it's not been enough for you, then maybe this podcast God uses to prod you a little, to bring you back to love for the Word of God, back to faithfulness and a desire to read and study God's Word. I'm not going to say you, if you don't read 30 minutes every day, then you probably don't love God's Word. That's that's not what we're saying, obviously. Uh, We're not talking about any legalistic tendencies, but the reality is if you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, Um, you're going to want to spend time in God's Word, and you will make time for that because you'll love God's Word, and if you love God's Word, you'll give time to it. So God's Word is wholly sufficient. It's all that we as believers need. It's our final source of authority. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's authoritative. And beyond all of that, it's wholly sufficient. So guys, look, I'm glad that you joined us today. And if you found this podcast helpful and you'd like to support our podcast or you'd like to support us as missionaries, uh, church planning in Alaska, you can feel free to visit our Patreon. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Uh, But more importantly, we'd just love to hear from you. You can email us your suggestions. You can email us prayer requests. If I get those, I actually do take the time to pray for folks. Or you can email us comments. I'd love to get some show recommendations, some, some things, topics that you guys would like to hear. You can email the, all those things at truthbeknownpodcast 
at gmail.com. That's truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. So thanks again, guys, for listening. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.